0: Welcome back to the Meet St. Louis podcast, brought to you by Mattress Direct, your local sleep specialist. Each week, we take you behind the scenes of your favorite restaurants, breweries, and small businesses. I'm your host, Alexa Zotos with KMOV. Chef Dave Owens knows chocolates. He was the chief chocolatier and vice president of Bissinger's Chocolates for years before he made a pivot to proper cannabis. He saw the opportunity to make handcrafted chocolates and candies with honeybee edibles as the world of medical marijuana was taking off in Missouri. Now that recreational marijuana is legal, the possibilities of growth are huge. We sat down with Dave at Proper Cannabis' facility in Rock Hill to talk about how he's bringing his culinary training to the world of edibles. His pre-med classes from college also help, as there's a lot of science and a lot of spreadsheets that go into crafting chocolates with flavors like salted brownie batter and peanut butter and pretzel that include THC. So let's meet Dave. Get the best price on brand name mattresses at Mattress Direct. You'll get the guaranteed lowest price and the non-commissioned sleep specialists will make sure you get the right mattress for the way you get to sleep. You'll sleep better knowing you got the best price on the right mattress when you shop local at St. Louis Mattress Direct. Well, Dave, thanks for joining us on the podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Alexis. Uh,
0: so it's been a pretty big week in uh, your industry with the legalization of marijuana here in Missouri. How have you guys been preparing for that?
1: Well, we've been preparing since the uh, amendment passed last year, um, building up inventory, getting infrastructure in place, hiring people, things like that, just to be ready from day one Mm -hmm. which was a surprise right (laughs) originally it was going to be february 6th and then it was the state allowed allowed us to start on february 3rd so
0: what's it been like this first week with a whole lot of new customers
1: you know it's very interesting i was in the dispensary in our crestwood dispensary just the other night and it's a different demographic of people sure um not that you could pick someone out who has a medical card or not but it just I was in there enough to see that this is a different group of people here mm-hmm. that's not normally here. Um, you know, there's a line, not a line out the door necessarily, but a line. And you got to wait a little longer. But uh, the team moves people through pretty quickly.
0: Now, obviously, our podcast is is, is food heavy. And that's where, where you come into play here, mm-hmm. because you are are the man behind the edibles. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's true. Right. Um You know, uh, I've got 40 years in food and this is just another ingredient Mm -hmm. really for me.
0: Yeah. So talk to me. Well, first let's take it back a little bit. Give me a little bit about your background. When did you get into, did you always know you going into chocolate and, and sort of the candy part of the food world or was there a different path first?
1: Oh, no, there was a different path for, for sure. <laughs> um, you have to follow the path that your parents want for ah. for a little while mm-hmm. until you figure it out. Um, but once I had figured that out, I was, uh, you know, really deep into food and was cooking. All the jobs I've ever had really were cooking jobs. Mm-hmm. And I owned and operated some restaurants here in town. I was partners at Cardwell's at the Plaza for 16 years. Mm-hmm. And then my wife and I had a restaurant in the Central West End uh, called Tureen. Oh, okay. And so we had that for a couple of years and then we had the opportunity to go work for Bissinger's. Um, I had a little bit of pastry chef background, enough to be dangerous, (laughs) um, but really did a lot of on the job learning there at at Bissinger's. What they wanted was for us to bring um, a culinary bent to product development, to management, ideation, that kind of thing.
0: How different was that from the restaurant world?
1: Well, you only work 40 hours for the most part. (laughs) That had
0: to be a nice change of pace. That was
1: really strange. Um, You work days. You know, really strange things like that. Um, But I got used to it. I really enjoyed working for Bissinger's. Um, It was a great brand. Um, Still is a great brand. has a, a long history, over 300 years. So I had a lot of fun doing that.
0: And so what, how did you get TAP to come along here? How did they reach out to you? Did you know you sort of wanted that next step? How did that process I work? had
1: um, been on the application of another cannabis group, mm-hmm. and they failed to secure any licenses. Mm. So I needed to pivot kind of quickly, and I did it the old So frat. you
0: were seeking out.
1: Well, I had met them, mm. and these folks that had another, this other group, And they had asked me to come on board, and I thought it was a great idea. I knew Bissinger's was changing hands. It was an opportunity to do something different while still being in the confectionery world, which I'd really grown to love. Um, But they didn't get any licenses, so I had to pivot. And luckily, the state published the addresses of everyone who got a license. Right. So I did it the old-fashioned way and sent a resume and cover letter. I love it. And luckily, the (laughs) partnership... um, here at proper owned this building and so they were getting their mail Mm.
0: (laughs) that's always helpful that's the only that was the reason you sent a physical you mailed a resume
1: physical piece of paper two pieces of paper in an envelope (laughs) and i out of the 25 that i sent out i got 23 of them back
0: this is this is honestly sparking like flashbacks to like when I first applied for TV jobs and I sent physical DVDs out to mm-hmm. sixty five TV stations <laughs> across the country. People don't really do that anymore.
1: No, not so much. Um, but it was the only way I knew how to get in contact with mm-hmm. these folks.
0: And so they said.
1: Oh, they reached out to me and said we. I immediately went in that the day that they opened the envelope. Mm-hmm. And I went in for an interview and we talked and um, I think uh, our views of how the the uh, program would roll out were, were aligned. Um, I learned a great deal from from the team there. and uh, yeah, What really was wa-
0: your vision? What did you imagine this sort of new world uh, would look like and how you could bring that culinary background into something that was, was really just getting started from the ground up, at least here in Missouri? Well,
1: really quality was number one and, and producing products that were the the best that we could produce using real fruit in the gumdrops, real European chocolate in the chocolate bars, Um, making them taste good, um, taste excellent. And um, like I said, just using cannabis as another ingredient. Uh, At the time, before it was recreationally legal, it was just medicinal. And so it was really going for those patients who were going to use this as as medicine. Mm -hmm. And I felt that Why shouldn't they have something that tastes great and that they enjoy? Um, So that goes the same with adult use now. I mean, why can't it taste great and and be something someone enjoys? Mm -hmm. In fact, we get a lot of comments, why can't you make Mm. uh, non-infused products so that I could have.
0: So they just want your chocolate now. (laughs) Well, now they just want the chocolate
1: and the gumdrops. But but so they could have one or two infused pieces Mm. and then roll into non-infused so that you don't. Is overdose. that something
0: that you guys are? Oh thought no, about? no, not really.
1: <laughs> we're 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 busy making infused products, yeah, and um, there's not a lot of time to make sure. non-infused products.
0: So was that a more unique concept? This idea of really a chef-driven, very much high attention to quality when we're talking about these edible products.
1: In this marketplace, it was. Um, in other. Places around the country where it's um, been legal, legal for, longer. It's been legal longer. There's there's certainly chefs. But let's think about it. You know, cannabis has been used in the in the culinary world for a long time. Mm-hmm. As long as there's been chefs, probably. <laughs> so a lot of people were really interested in it. You know, mm-hmm. and I think I came from a little bit different angle. I really came from I wanted to create um, great products that that people could use and enjoy. Um, and they just happen to have cannabis in them, so. Mm-hmm.
0: And so walk me through that process. What is that process like when you're creating, let's say, let's go with the chocolate bars, um, and using cannabis as an ingredient? How do you make sure the ratios are right, that you're tasting the chocolate, that, it, walk us through that process.
1: Yeah, sure. It involves a lot of spreadsheets
0: mm.
1: and, and math. <laughs> okay. So kids stay in school and learn <laughs> if you math. you
0: want to make chocolate, you got to do right. math. <laughs> you
1: got to do math, and... So spreadsheets are really important. And once that was all kind of developed, and uh, we could plug in the information um, and and then through um, testing, which we have, everything's mandated to be tested sure. here in the States. So um, one of those things they test for is potency. Mm-hmm. So as soon as we kind of dialed in the formulas, we knew the potency was correct and we knew the flavor was correct and we could move on and, and put them into the marketplace.
0: Was that a challenge? I mean, to try to get not only the potency you wanted while also getting and, and managing to get the taste you were looking for. Yeah,
1: the taste was the easy part. Getting the potency correct took a little, a few trials. Um, because what happens is you, you, we, we use, for the most part, we use distillate, which is a refined THC or CBD, for lack of a better word, oil, Okay, you know, c- looks like thick honey. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, And that has a potency to it. And so we have that tested, and we can take that percentage, plug it into the formula, and say, okay, we need 52 grams Mm -hmm. of of distillate to make this dose correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, So it took a a few times to get it right. It was new to me, and so I was, again, on-the-job training. Um, But luckily, input from some of the team members who had been around it longer was helpful, plus the use of the lab that we... uh, we utilize here in Missouri um, was, was helpful.
0: Does it change, you know, sort of the, the, how the chocolate turns out, you know, I don't, does it change how it tempers or things like that? I I don't know a bit about chocolate. Oh, good. You knew, you knew the word temper, (laughs) which is great.
1: (laughs) No, it doesn't seem to affect the temper. Um, We have really beautiful, shiny, snappy bars. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we use equipment to do that to, to temper the chocolate. We don't, we don't do any hand tempering. Mm-hmm. It, it tempers it in the machine. Um, but no, it really it doesn't affect. it. And the gumdrops uh, doesn't affect that either. It really it disperses well, mm-hmm. and so we get good uh, homogeneity, so that people are sure that if it's a square in the top left corner of mm. the bar or the bottom right corner. That it's the same potency throughout,
0: and that's interesting. That would not be something that I would immediately think of, but obviously that makes sense because if you're having you know one piece, you want it to be the same as the other piece right. you had.
1: Right. Not only from you know if you're if it's if it's recreationally you're using or if you're using it for medicine, mm-hmm. you know you want consistency, sure. and that's the big thing is consistency. So,
0: and I mean consistency, I imagine as a chef has always been a goal, or at least in the chocolate world. Uh. You,
1: certainly, you know, with with the Bissinger's brand, having 300 years of history, consistency was very important. Um, making sure that if if someone had that molasses lollipop as a child, that when they were in they know their 70s, like. it was the same. <laughs> and, you know, having a team that we, the team we had that was there at Bissinger's, a lot of people had been there for many years, mm-hmm. so it was easy enough to get that consistency, but but consistency is important, particularly when we're, since we're dosing now with cannabis. So.
0: Did kind of coming into a new venture give you an opportunity to sort of break out of that mold that you had been in? I mean, obviously Bissinger's a brand that is so well known and loved. And as you said, people want that same taste that they had as childhood. Was this an opportunity to, kind of try something new for your creative skills.
1: Oh, certainly. It was was a blank slate when we started. And um, how we went about it is that basically I just, I have a spreadsheet, I come up with flavor ideas, plug them all in, and then start to whittle them down um, to a a number that can be approved by the team Mm -hmm. so we can sample with the team and everything. So um, it was a blank slate, though. And so that was a lot of fun to develop those flavors.
0: What are uh, sort of the more popular ones or your favorite flavors oh, that you guys have crafted? Well, the
1: top three sellers in Gumdrops are Sour Watermelon Passion Fruit, uh, which is a one-to-one. So one part THC to one part CBD and that. Okay. And a lot of people find that that works really well for them. That's probably my go-to. Um, black uh, black uh, Cherry Cola, is, which we're making today, mm-hmm. um, which is really beautiful aroma when we make it. Um and then blood orange strawberry. Those are the two or the three top sellers in the gumdrops. And then for chocolate bars, you know, chocolate bars don't sell as much as the gumdrops. Mm. It it's, it seems that people like cho- uh, chocolate at different times of the year. Sure. So it, it doesn't sell quite the same. But right now we've got a great selling bar that's salted brownie batter. Yeah. And we're making that tomorrow. So the kitchen smells like black cherry cola and. And salted brownie batter right now, mm.
0: and I imagine that things might change again as we have a, a whole new slate of customers with recreational. How are you looking? Is is it more spreadsheets analyzing kind of what it will be the more popular, what will change, things like that?
1: Right, certainly. Um, one of the things we'll, that will be happening is we're going to introduce some gumdrops with live rosin, which mm. is a solventless method for extracting cannabis. Okay extracting THC from cannabis. And so that's coming up, um, you know, new flavors, um, fun flavors. Right now, they're really focused on the, what fruits they are, but we're going to maybe mix it up a little bit with some new things that are coming up, like grape soda and uh, tangerine dream, those kinds of things.
0: When it comes to those gummies, was that a new challenge as well or had you sort of well done gummies before and this was just now adding THC
1: at at Bissinger's we had a line of gummies um that were gelatin based Mm -hmm. um which were excellent so we had developed those in partnership with the manufacturers we didn't have the uh infrastructure to make them ourselves so we went out and found a manufacturer to follow our formulations Mm -hmm. and, and all that so um these are here at Proper, the the gumdrops are pectin based, so okay. that makes they can be vegan gotcha. versus gelatin. So it's we we from the get go we said these need to be vegan, and it's, it's um, that's seems to be um, not a demand of the, of the of the clientele, but something that's a big interest to them. Sure. So we we went down that path from the beginning. So there's it's a little more difficult to make pectin based gummies than it is gelatin. So Just because of the. The dynamics of, of that, um, of gelatin versus pectin. Gotcha. You know, gelatin's thermoreversible. You can heat it and cool it, and it'll mm. keep its shape and it'll regel, um, versus pectin doesn't want to regel once, you, once you've already had it set. Gotcha. So it's a they're a little more a little more nuanced.
0: So much of this is is really science. Was science something <laughs> you? There's a huge amount of science. <laughs> Was science something you enjoyed earlier on in in life, or has it now become just part of the job because you had to figure um, it out?
1: A little bit of both. You know, I I studied pre med and physical therapy before I got back into cooking okay. when I. That's that That path. That was the path your parents wanted? That was the path that my parents wanted, (laughs) right. And when I really realized that I didn't want to do that, Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of uh, science and human gross anatomy and different things like that 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 I'd taken. But um, I found when I was at Bissinger's, I needed a lot of knowledge to to get up to speed to um, produce products at the level that we were producing them. So we distributed all over the country. Mm -hmm. So we were... A manufacturer that sold almost every state in the union, and so in order to be able to produce on that scale, it's a little bit different than, say, mom and pop confectionery company just making some caramels in the back room. Mm -hmm. Here we're producing on a much larger scale, so that
0: need to be shipped and have to be
1: shipped, have shelf life, things like that. And um, so I found mentors in the industry that really helped me out to learn the the things that I needed to know Mm -hmm. to. To produce those products, you know, I I oversaw some of the manufacturing, um, but really my role was R and D and and developing new products as well as brand ambassador.
0: Is that something that you kind of find yourself gravitating towards? I I like yeah, I like representing a brand.
1: The R and D and I like representing a brand. Um, I like creating new new things. Uh, You know the it's the day in and day out. Of manufacturing, You know, we, we make gumdrops four days a week, chocolate bars one day a week, <laughs> and that's what we do every week. Um, but when we get to make new stuff, that's yeah. that's exciting, bringing those to market.
0: Well, and branding is, is such a, no matter what part of the culinary world you're in, or really any part of the world in general, branding is such a key component. And you guys here really have kind of honed in on a brand.
1: Oh, we definitely have. We've got a great brand team that is, have developed... Um something that is i th- I think as good as anything in the state, anything in the country you know if you look at the packaging it's beautiful the um the all the components that go with it they've done an excellent job of of bringing that to life.
0: What would you say has been the the biggest lesson learned in your career that is kind of helping you in this sort of new path and especially as we enter kind of a new era of uh, legalization in Missouri.
1: Well, something I've learned later in life, not early in life, because, you know, chefs, we, you know, there's a there's a stigma there of chefs throwing things and yelling mm-hmm. all the time <laughs> and being volatile. And, you know, certainly in my younger days, I may have been a little bit more like that. Mm. But over time, uh, being calm and not getting flustered is... Is is the uh, is the key? I think.
0: How do you kind of take those lessons to the team here?
1: Um, first off, treat them with respect. You know, I've got a great team, one of the best teams I've ever had, and they um, they do a really good job, and they know their role, and uh, uh, do that do that role day in and day out, and and so by treating them with respect. Letting them do their, their jobs, but yet guiding them uh, as needed is, is um, a recipe for success, I think.
0: Do you ever miss the restaurant world?
1: Oh, some days. <laughs> some days I do. and In fact, it's funny you bring that up because we're working, we're working now on an infused dinner for some of our uh, key clients. Mm-hmm. And we hope to have a, a series of those throughout the year. Um, but the first one up I'll be doing, um, like I said, for these key clients. As well as I've got a Roots dinner um, coming up at Tempest. Oh, uh, cool. Over on, both of these are going to be at Tempest. Oh, neat. Um, over there in the Grove. Which
0: is, for our listeners, has kind of transitioned into sort of a, a pop-up Yeah, to an event space. space.
1: Yeah, they do a lot of different things. And I know Vito, the chef there, Vito Racanelli, really well. And he invited me to do a dinner and then we said, well, we need to get an infused in around the books too. So, we've got two so you're doing
0: a non-infused one and an infused yes. one. Yes. As you're thinking through, because I was going to ask you about infused sort of cooking, which I have already seen sort of pop up more mm-hmm. and more, especially in our area. Um, how do you approach that? How do you approach crafting a menu that's
1: infused? Um. First off, I write the menu. And then figure out what the infused component's going to okay. be.
0: Okay, so you figure uh, out what you want to serve, and then how yeah, then
1: to right. infuse it. Um, whether that's a bit of herb oil or a sauce, or you know, I because at, at these dinners, I what we've we've talked about is giving folks the option to control the dosage. Mm. You know, maybe the the whole meal's twenty milligrams which for some people that's a lot, for some people that's very little, um, but giving them the option to kind of dial it in and out and make it easier versus, hey, here's here's a, uh, a dish that's already, everything's in it, mm-hmm. you can't change it, you can't do anything. So it's just trying to be flexible with the with the customer, um, the person who's going to be sitting down to, to partake in that meal. Um, so starting with the food and, and what we want to serve and what's seasonally appropriate and, you know, um, dusting off the the savory chef. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, do you still, I mean, do you cook a lot still at home? Well, we cook a
1: great deal. My wife's a chef also, mm. and so we cook pretty much every day. And we cook a lot for not just in the household, but we give a lot of food away just because <laughs> we cook. Just because you cook a
0: lot. And yeah, and so,
1: and so there's opportunities there. There's there's things that we have maybe have done in the past or – um, would like to do now mm-hmm. uh, right now uh, fermentation something we're really into and so we're doing a lot of things with that and you might see some of those things on the on the menus.
0: How does you know and I don't know if it's different than sort of how you've established it while making chocolates but how does cooking with cannabis you know when it's a more savory dish does that change flavor cooking thing ability?
1: Yeah it, it, it changes depending on how the cannabis is going to be introduced? Mm-hmm. If we're making a can of butter, or a can of oil, mm-hmm. or sugar, or whatever it is, where it's got a lot of the plant components still there, yeah. you know, it's going to taste like a plant. It's right. going to have the, the chlorophyll; there's still chlorophyll there, and all those things. So it, it's more herbaceous. You know, depending on the strain, there's different terpenes involved, and so um, you know, the flavor could. Could be affected, mm. so that's one thing to be cognizant of. Is if you're going to use whole flour to infuse, if you're using um, like the live live rosin that we're going to use, um, most likely it's got a lot of flavor to it. Mm. But it's in a liquid form, so we can dose easy that way, and then we use distillate in the gum, most of the gumdrops and mm-hmm. chocolate bars now, which is that refined oil, which really doesn't have much flavor or taste. So,
0: so my one question then is, as a chef, as you're tasting the food you're preparing, does that change how you're doing that tasting it, while you're cooking with infused product?
1: Yeah, you gotta. Yeah, you gotta be very <laughs> cognizant of how much you're you're, you're tasting because. Um, that could add up real quick.
0: Right. Well, you know, and I imagine that's something as a chef you're used to doing along the way as uh, while cooking.
1: You know, if you've cooked long enough, most of the time you just cook. And you just cook. You're not. You don't taste every, <laughs> every, every bite of every dish. You know, mm-hmm. you taste a few key components and then you know that it's come together. You're not probably sitting down with the half roast chicken with the with the sauce and the grits and the whatever mm-hmm. the dish is you you've tasted the components and know that that's going to you know come gonna together. together yeah and you know cuz i maintain a vegetarian oh, okay lifestyle and have for 30 years so there's plenty of things i don't taste
0: mm, yeah that makes
1: sense i just make them
0: you just make them you just you know how to cook it right. so
1: <laughs> so you can you can pass those tasting duties along to other people too. Sure,
0: you know, sure. So. so did you so after your, your pre med days, did you end up going to culinary school before I, getting back getting into the restaurant world? I
1: did. I went to Forest Park Community mm-hmm. College, which still has one of the best programs in the country. Um, you know, it's stood the test of time over all of the for profit schools mm-hmm. that have come and went. It's still there and still turning out well educated students who want to be in the culinary field.
0: Because a lot of times, you know, we, we talk to folks on this podcast and it, it's it's pretty even sometimes of, of those that just sort of learn their way, you know, moving their way up the ranks versus those that go to culinary school. And so it's always interesting to me to, to talk to, to chefs and kind of how their background and how they ended up where they are in this chair in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I was very
1: fortunate to um, not only go to Forest Park and be part of the apprenticeship program mm. that we had then um but I also worked for Bill Cardwell before I was his partner a legend yes absolutely and 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 a good mentor and a good friend mm-hmm. and um you know taught me a great deal about food and cooking and um you know how to deal with local farmers and all kinds of things that you don't you don't get maybe as a kid growing up in Granite City sure. we didn't get much of that but once I worked for him and uh became his partner it was it was um, quite a learning experience.
0: You've mentioned mentors a couple times. Do you view yourself as a mentor now and how do you hope to kind of play that role for other young folks in the culinary world?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that as as we grow in any field, we need to mentor folks coming up and give them the inform- help them with the information that they need to, to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just, like, this is how to cook X or or how to create this dish. It's also trying to help teach soft skills, um, you know, things like shaking someone's hand and looking them in the eye and, and, and being confident in yourself and things like that. Those are the kind of things that I like to try and impart.
0: What excites you looking ahead to, to the future in this career and, and kind of the the possibilities that are out there now,
1: you know, the possibilities really are endless for for proper and the and the brands that we've developed. Um, there's a lot yet to happen in this state. There's only you know it's only been a few days, yeah. uh, not even a week yet of 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 sales. So uh, there's a lot yet to be done. Like I mentioned, these infused dinners. You know, um, getting cannabis to be, cannabis to be more Accepted, you know there were 53% of the folks voted yes for the amendment. There was mm-hmm. still 47% voted no, so trying to um, get rid of some of the stigma, you know it's um, it's been in a prohibition for so long that it's going to take a while. I mean we're just we're still even with states like California and and Colorado and Oregon and Washington who've been doing it in Alaska who've been doing it a long time. Mm-hmm. They're still. Things to be learned. This is, I, I think, this is a once-in-a-generation type shift or, or or type of business to be developed, and um, there's a lot left to be done.
0: Remember, Missouri has legalized recreational and adult use marijuana for those over the age of 21 or with a medical card. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here next week.